This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Super professional. Hey, everyone. Oh. I see that I'm on the screen. <laughs> that was you. Did you hear yourself? Yes. <laughs> I, I muted my phone. Don't worry. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you just threw me into that, and I had no idea what I was doing. Brett, thank you. We'll do it live. Hi, everybody. <laughs> well, I'm not worried about messing up, so I don't care. It's good. Hey, All right. We're here tonight, and it's Jason. Brett, and we have Fran from Inspiring My Generation here, and she's going to tell us a little bit about herself and what she does. I want to hear. Yeah, so my name is Fran, and I am the founder and president of Inspiring My Generation Corporation. We're a 501c3 for mental health awareness, education, support, and suicide prevention. And this actually started as a blog when I was 12 years old. The goal was to start having these conversations that people just weren't having with me. I was struggling with these feelings of anxiety, of depression, of not being good enough, of comparing myself, and I didn't know where to go to talk about it. So I started a blog, named it Inspiring My Generation, and 12 years later, here we are, full nonprofit, helping people in so many different ways. We have our podcast, bringing on professionals, individuals who want to share their story and just not norm, not only normalizing the conversation, but making information and resources more accessible. We are donating encouragement cards every month to patients hospitalized in behavioral health facilities, giving them that support and encouragement I know that I needed at a really vulnerable time and hopefully letting them know that someone on the outside understands. And through our workbook series where every year I get so lucky to put out a new workbook that helps people build different tools and resources, teaching people how to build coping skills, affirmations, self-talk, and just the words they need to advocate for themselves. That is awesome. Yes. It's so important. I was talking about, and Jason was there, so he knows today I was on a meeting um, about having an advocacy day at the Capitol, um, not in DC, but the Florida Capitol. Um, and I was saying, I was talking about the um, learning how to tell your story in five minutes or less with the ask and how having the narrator coaches that we had, how amazing that was and how people were able to really like hone in on what was important to say and didn't talk for 20 minutes because you only get like three minutes when you advocate and speak. So um, we were talking about doing something like that with some of, you know, people in our state. So. I think it's really important to be able to learn how to advocate for yourself. And I think that's amazing that you're teaching others that. Thank you. I agree. It's so funny how most of us just don't know what to say or who to say it to. There's so much fear on what are people going to think? How are they going to receive it? That we are afraid to just say, I need help. I need support. I need this. And when we just say like, this is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I've tried. This is what I need from you. Can you help me? If someone can help you, they will help you. And if they can't, maybe they'll be able to point you into the direction. But most people don't ask because they're afraid on what someone's going to respond. 
Yeah, I I would agree. That's been my uh, experience in life. But I also my experience in life is once I learned how to ask for help, that I found that people are much more understanding and accepting and willing to help than I thought they were, you know? Yes. I think that they don't always know that you need it or they don't like, I think sometimes it's nice to be needed too. Like in a lot of ways, it's nice for someone to ask you to help and you be able to help them. That's a good feeling. So I think it's, it's, you know, works two ways, but that's something we're not taught as kids. We're taught to like be tough and take the punches and like asking for help is weak and it's actually the exact opposite it's a lot harder to ask for help than it is to white knuckle it yes as kids we're taught like stop crying grow up get over it don't act like a girl don't be a baby and when we ask for help a lot of times people say figure it out grow up you're old enough to know what to do and how to do it so of course as we get older we're afraid to say I need help. We're afraid to show any kind of vulnerability. Our whole lives, we were taught that that's bad, that's wrong, that's weak, and that people are going to think less of us for doing so. Yep. Well, has there ever been a time in your life where you wanted to ask for help and didn't know how? How did you handle it? Yeah. I think the main time that happened to me was right in the midst of my mental health struggle. I was 20 years old. I had just lost my grandfather. He was my best friend in the entire world. We FaceTimed every morning for a cup of coffee, every day after class on my walk home so I could tell him about it every night for dinner. If you were near my grandfather at a specific time, you knew that I was going to call and he was going to pause what he was doing to answer. Did not know how to get through a day without him. Suddenly had to get through a lifetime. My grandmother, my other best friend, who I still talk to 10 times a day, um, was just texting with her right before this, sending her the link. She was also in that car accident, and I almost lost her. And for the first time, I had to grieve these major losses or almost lost. And I didn't know how to get through a moment without them. Now, a lifetime without my grandfather. What if my grandmother didn't make it? All this fear. And I didn't know how to say, I'm scared. I didn't know how to say, I need help. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feel. I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. I had no idea how to just ask for that support. So I didn't. And then I ended up attempting suicide. And my uncle was the one who really gave me that support. Lost him 27 days later to suicide. And just still did not know how to ask for help. Did not know how to process what I was feeling to understand what was going on. And it wasn't until I ended up in a psych ward that I realized if I had asked for help, if I knew that I could ask for help, if I knew that what grieving was, if I knew what coping skills were, if I knew how to support myself in any way, I may not have ended up where I was. So it wasn't until then that I even learned that that was an option. And it wasn't until maybe months later being in therapy and things starting to finally feel normal where I called my dad up and I said, I want to go back to school. I want this. I want to feel better. I want to do it. How do I get there? And that was the first moment I actually admitted that I couldn't do it myself, that it wasn't bad to ask somebody to help me, to tell me what to do, to support me, to give me any kind of information. And it, since then, I've never stopped asking for help. Well, thank God you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I'm glad that you made it through that. Um, and I'm sorry about your uncle. That's horrible. Really you know, Brene, Brene Brown says that, uh, you know, vulnerability is the closest measure that we have to actual courage. And that's, it's, it's like, to your point about how we were growing up or how our culture just in general brings us up. It's like, that's counterintuitive to what we've been taught, most of us. Uh, but yeah, I'm grateful. I know for me and, and for y'all as well that we've learned what really works in life, you know, and we don't have to suffer in silence anymore. Yeah. He's a big Brene Brown fan, like big me. Big time. That we're Brene Brown fan club here. It's my Yoda. It's my hashtag, my Yoda. She's amazing. She's also like my dream interview. I've tried to reach out to her numerous times, but maybe if I was JR, she'd answer me. <laughs> yeah, everybody answers JR. We I know, it's crazy. Out. I'm like, how do you get a hold of these people? It's insane. No, he just doesn't give up. That's the thing. They just stop. They just respond because it's like, I'm going to get an email from this guy every single day. Let me just deal with this. And I'm going to speak. Brett knows. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say about your uncle, a lot of times it's the ones that are there for everybody else that, you know, struggle in silence too. And um, it, it's hard to, we just, um, in our state, there was somebody that, was like a group leader and had done all these groups for NAMI and, and they lost their life to suicide. And it really, really shook up their, that affiliate because here's somebody leading groups and they were struggling and they were listening to everyone else. And, you know, everyone, you know, they feel guilty because they're like, how did we not know? Like we knew this person and it's the people that take all that emotion in you you gotta let it out somewhere yeah yeah that's how i felt after my uncle how i felt so guilty that i didn't know and that he was there for me and i wasn't there for him i didn't save him i couldn't save him and it's important to recognize when people are there for us and showing up for us all the time it's so amazing but sometimes they're struggling too and making that space for them that's something that took me a long time to learn is people can be there for you and you can be so grateful and it can be amazing, but making sure you give them space to be there for them and to just listen to them and ask them, check in with them. I know that one thing, like if I could go back in time, maybe just checking in, yeah. it could change everything. It could, because then even if they didn't think, oh, I need support, they will you know, feel safe to share because you already have been sharing some deeply personal things about how you've been feeling with them. You know, it's, but yeah, I, I like how you put that. So it's so true. Just creating that space, like, you know, just because somebody actually shows interest in how you're doing doesn't mean you need to hog the floor. Right. Yeah. Just checking in and giving them space. And if they don't want to talk, that's okay. And if they do, they know that you're there. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's so important to know that we can't save anybody. What what somebody else 
does, whether it be a, they lose their life to suicide, whether it's an overdose, like it's not any one person's fault, number one, because for it's a tragedy to, want, to lose one life, but to lose two because of the loss of one is devastating. It's a travesty. So, you know, I think it's important because a lot of people feel like they can save somebody and you can be there for someone and you can do everything right and still doesn't work. But, and you can do everything wrong and them still be here. So, and you can't fix it. So that's like, I'm a fixer. Like I want to fix someone's problem. And I've learned over time that sometimes you just have to say that sucks and just be there. Yeah. Like you were saying. That's so true. I think I just think back on when I was feeling suicidal in my life, you know, I've tried to kill myself twice as well. Uh, First time I was really young, I jumped off a bridge and it wasn't even a super tall bridge. Like I scuffed myself all up on a like crick bed full of rocks and I knocked myself out for a couple minutes and I remember being all pissed off, but I never had the balls to like try to do it with a gun or anything like that. And the other time I just tried to do it injecting. Um, And it's, it's just uh, crazy. Cause I mean, I looking back, it's like, I wonder how many endless hours that I sit with like candles lit and depressing music on and, you know, teetering back and forth between like being super depressed sad to like being angry and blaming everybody else and feeling baffled by my circumstances and overwhelmed and you know all the feels that go into that and all that wasted energy when you like now i know that if i do talk to somebody about it that we can have a deep conversation and then we can get rid of those icky feelings, you know, like that's the best way to get rid of the feelings is to communicate about the stuff that you're carrying. I don't know who would have thunk it. Right. It's crazy. So I don't know, but how about you, uh, Fran, when you were, you know, growing up and stuff, like when did you uh, first notice that you had some like mental health issues manifesting for yourself? I think when when I was five years old, I was a competitive cheerleader. I was so excited. And but back then they put us in those tiny uniforms and my stomach hung over my skirt and someone really close to me who I just admired and they didn't do it in a malicious way in any way, shape, or form. Still so much love for that person, but they made a comment that I looked fat in my uniform. I had no idea what that meant. I just knew from a cheer movie that you cheerleaders couldn't be fat. So I knew that I was wrong. I wasn't right to be a cheerleader. I wasn't good enough. And that became just this deep-rooted fear within me of not being good enough. So I don't know that I recognized it at that point, but that's when I can recognize when it really began. It wasn't until I was about 12 years old and I would have a full breakdown before any exam, before any quiz, before any test, before any project was due, terrified of failing, terrified of not being good enough. I could go through periods of time where I was so happy, confident on top of the world, but one small trigger and I was down and depressed and Mm. could not 
bring myself back up and it would take a long time. And then by the time I was 15, 16, I really started to struggle with my eating, was diagnosed with anorexia and started throwing up when I had exams from complete anxiety. And I think it was then when it was really, really bad that I noticed it. Yeah. Or when you could maybe put a label on it and say, yeah, yeah. this is like out of control, man. Like yeah. Those feelings are so big that it's just the worst. It's the worst. I mean, I have major depressive disorder myself. I have generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder. So, you know, I've, I can remember having panic attacks where I legit thought that my veins were going to like explode in my body. And like, I was like, almost like physically convulsing if that makes sense or like couldn't control my body's movements because i was so wound up tight like whipped in a frenzy freaking absolutely terrifying right like just a complete loss of control and i i i wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy to feel that way and thank god that we can learn coping mechanisms right and, and tools to deal with these things when they happen because i mean it's like you know as a person who's in recovery from a substance use disorder myself um that the crux of it the causes and conditions of the addiction is that stuff the mental health and emotional wellness stuff that that was unchecked you know and that's that's crazy, man. I mean, I don't know. Did you have a substance issue at all or just just mental health? I personally didn't. I watched people around me use drugs and alcohol as a coping skill, and that became something that terrified me. So when I started, the first thing I wanted to do was find any single coping skill possible and created a workbook based on that to be able to help people find those tools because that's what we go to. It's kind of what, I don't want to say we're taught to go to, but you're watching TV, you're watching movies and you're growing up and all these teenagers in the movies, something bad happens and they're drinking or they're doing drugs. Like that's kind of what they automatically go to. And right away you're like, okay, that's an escape that works. But then when you're not high, you're not drunk, you're not feeling the effect of the substance, it's not working anymore. And we're just taught to continue. And it's, I don't wanna say it's we're taught, but it's kind of linked into our brains based on watching these movies, watching these TVs. So watching it from people around me and seeing it, that became my biggest mission was to find something else I could do and then teach that to them and hopefully others. Well, I think it's awesome because I don't think there's enough people out there that are willing to see, like if they see a need, that they're willing to step up and try to fill the need. So thank you for making that a mission and uh, going after it, you know? Like, I I wanna say thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, now it comes off me up. I was pressing it on my mouse for like five seconds. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, what I was gonna say is, you know, I think I have every diagnosis you have. Jason, when you're going through them, anxiety, major depressive disorder, PTSD, substance use disorder. Great minds. 
but <laughs> <laughs> great minds uh have a uh, similar disorders <laughs> i don't know why that was funny it's been a long day oh, man. it's like so great to acknowledge the fact that people that care about others and have deep feelings are some of the people that struggle with some of these diagnoses substance use disorders and mental health diagnoses and a lot of people like she said go to substances because they want to numb it's the same thing you know the pain is so great for people that want to end their life it's just a different coping mechanism yes you know and like to your point friend you know it's like it's not just substances it's any behavior right any anything that's an escape anything so that's why we got to be careful in recovery uh from substance use because our our addiction will manifest itself in a million different ways and it'll always change you know this is a this is a lifelong process this is like a lifestyle choice and so we got to remain vigilant we got to stay on our spiritual beam we got to stay self-aware um but I will say this, man, like for me, the finding other people, you know, that are on the same path, trying to learn how to cope, trying to learn how to live better. That's where the most magic happens, the most therapeutic, the most healing, you know, like for me is that community piece of it, you know, just connecting with others is huge. Somebody once told me the two most powerful words in the English language are me too. Yes. I was like, whoa. Just somebody being able to say, I've been there too. I've struggled with that too. You're not alone. So speaking of you're not alone, you want to tell us some, some tips and some stuff that's in your first workbook? Yes. So you're not alone. The workbook is about building coping skills. It starts off with one affirmations and positive self-talk. I am brave. I am kind. I am enough. Kind of getting those phrases into our heads. And then Mm. it goes into loving yourself. I know for me, one thing that I thought people loved me for was the stuff that I had. I went to private Catholic school and everyone had stuff. And whoever had the newest stuff was the coolest. That's why people would love me. And then my parents separate and suddenly I don't have a car anymore. I have to move out of my house and my whole life shifts and I don't have all this stuff. And I was lost. Why would anyone like me anymore? Why would anyone love me? People love me because I have stuff. No. So the next part of that workbook is breaking down why people love us and why we love other people. I love people who make me feel happy, who make me feel loved, who make me feel needed and important, who make me feel good enough. And that's what people love about us. So being able to recognize what people love about us and then reasons we love ourselves. And from there, it goes into emotions and different ways you can express your emotions. It was really hard for me to find words for a long time to explain what I was saying or what I was feeling. But then sometimes I could just draw a picture and it made sense. Or I could put on a song. It's always a Taylor Swift song. Taylor Swift song for every emotion for me personally. And just putting on a song and being able to identify with it. So figuring out how you can express yourself, whether it's through words, writing, 
music, drawing, just some movement, some way to express yourself. And then from there, going into coping skills or mental health conversations next. I'm sorry. Now, how can we have a conversation with someone else? How can we listen? When I was going through recovery, one thing I felt so afraid of was to talk to my loved ones because they didn't have any information really on what to do for mental health. This was very new for them. They were terrified. They had no idea what happened except that they almost lost me and that they just lost my uncle. So trying to create a guide for us on how to have a conversation. And it's been a great way for people to have conversations together, talking about non-judgmental open-ended questions, supportive statements, understanding statements, showing how to actively listen, validating statements, and following up. And gives you a step-by-step guide on how to have a productive, supportive conversation to check in. Then goes into coping skills because great, we identified that we need support. What can we do? How can we find coping skills that work for us? It's so funny because most of us actually do something every day or we try to do things that make us feel good. Yet, we don't always connect the dots and say, this makes me feel good. When I'm sad, I can do this and it might help. It might help manage those emotions. Instead, we identify when we're feeling good, we do good things. We're feeling bad, we're going to turn to things that make us feel worse. So kind of connecting those dots and saying, this makes you feel strong. This makes you feel powerful. This makes you feel good. This is what you can do when you're feeling sad, when you're feeling angry, when you're feeling overwhelmed, jealous, tired. And then at the end, you have an emotional wellness toolbox. So you have people you can talk to, people or validating statements, things you can say to yourself, affirmations, coping skills, um, three places you can go, three questions you can ask yourself. Just this whole little toolbox at the end that you can rip out and keep with you and take it anywhere. And when you are struggling, when a moment hits you that you feel overwhelmed, you don't even have to think. It's all right in front of you. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's super important. Super important work. It sounds like you really came at it from a lot of different angles and and looked at the, you know, the the progression of how you would deal with it from beginning to end, you know, it's like, so you can really get a basic understanding. And I like the idea of having like a checklist because I forget stuff. I'll, you know, I had a quick forgetter. So I need to be able to refer to something like that sometimes to remind me, you know, so I don't miss a step or some critical part of being of you know, maximum service to somebody who needs it. That's awesome. Thank you. The reminders are so important. And of course, when we're overwhelmed and our minds feel just like they're about to explode, we don't know what to do. How We're not suddenly going to be like, this is what I need to do. Having that reminder next to us, having that piece of paper that can help us say, all right, I do know what to do, can be so helpful because of course your mind's overwhelmed. It feels like everything's about to just blow up inside your head. Like, you have the tools. It's not that you don't have them. Here's a reminder that you have them. Yeah. Yep. And then it's on us to use them. <laughs> yes. You know, that's the other thing. It's like, uh, you're, you're what? You're 24. Yes. This girl, you guys, she's 24. She's already working on her second master's degree. I got to go back to school. <laughs> uh, I got to uh, it's really inspiring, you know, especially considering how much you've overcame to get where you're at. It's, Thank you. and you seem just like this bright ray of sunshine, just all happy and 
well-spoken and super smart and like it's like crazy to think that you know but i think it's good too because like for our intensive purposes doing this show it's instructive for the viewers to see like you don't look like there's anything wrong with you you know and i'm not saying there is you know you know what i'm saying that yeah I'd, i gotta learn how to talk right but it's it's just crazy because we don't know you can't judge a book by its cover you don't know somebody's internal struggle you know what i mean yeah, Robin Williams. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love about no, 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 you can talk. What I love about you know what you said is even the mo the most confident person really isn't that confident from what I've learned in my life. You know, every some people come off as more confident, but everybody struggles with feelings of self worth, not being good enough. And so these are things that are great things to teach ourselves because we weren't taught growing up that we're enough. We were taught that you need to be perfect, that you need to be all these things. And in the grand scheme of things, no one is perfect. No one can be all the things, but everybody's enough. Yes, yeah. exactly. And you said we all struggle with feelings of self-worth. That's one of my favorite things about my podcast, listening to other people's podcasts, is hearing how honest they are. You would think this person, like you can have these supermodels talk about how insecure they feel. And watching them, I would never think that they could have any insecurities. For me, my body image was always one. So I look at people who would have, you would think have not no body insecurity and they're still insecure. I look at people who have no who I would think don't have imposter syndrome, who seem to be like the most prepared professional people. And they're like, I feel like an imposter sometimes. Yeah. And to me, that blew my mind. Like we we're all human. That's part of being human is criticizing ourselves, judging ourselves, questioning ourselves, but it doesn't have to be all of it. We can also have those tools and use them to help boost up, boost us up a little bit and remind us that we're not the only ones feeling this way and that we can build confidence slowly. Absolutely. Yep. And to your point of um, not being able to tell by the way someone looks, that was something for me that's always been a thing. People always say, well, you don't look like you'd struggle. I live with bipolar 2 disorder. I live with generalized anxiety disorder. You never would be able to tell looking at me. Even in school, I was this petite little blonde cheerleader. I was this bubble of energy all the time. You, if you didn't know, if you weren't inside my head, you never would have known because it wasn't something that people talked about. So of course I didn't talk about it, but you really can't judge a book by its cover because looking at me, you never, no one knew until I was in a hospital bed that I was struggling. Yeah. And then it, sadly, you know, a lot of people just don't know what to say or, you know, they're in shock. They don't know how to even come at it. And that's why it's so important, the work you're trying to do, because you're giving people, you're equipping people to be able to step into those hard conversations. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think some of those hard conversations, it's good that they're hard. I think I've learned the most from not knowing what to say and like being afraid I was saying the wrong thing, but just 
making that conversation happen anyway. And I think that those have been some of the most productive conversations in my life. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's weird because when you have them, just so much weight leaves you. You're just like, oh, wish we would have talked about this before. You know what I mean? Uh, I always, like in, in my current relationship, it's a big thing that we focus on. It's like, even if it gets too intense, like we, we'll be like, okay, it's obviously this is too intense, but we'll always come back to it. We'll always talk it through. And then we always feel so much better. And not only that, but we feel more connected, right? And that works with everyone, everyone. It works with my kid. You know what I mean? It works with everybody. It's awesome. I'm glad I learned that, you know, through my journey. It's important. I think I took a training called mental health first aid. I was trying to think of what it was called uh, here in Minnesota. It's a tr training that's offered regularly uh, through a number of different places, but, and it's, you know, cheap or free. I'm not sure. I think at the time when I did it, it was free, but it's, it's the same exact things that you're teaching over there uh, at your organization. And it's, I, I didn't think it sounded like it would be that informative and it was like super empowering, um, especially when somebody's in an existential crisis and you can know, learn how to identify like, am I qualified to try to help with this or do I need to refer them to get some more, you know, qualified professional help or what, you know, so obviously we can't to Ashley's point, save every anybody. Really, we can't. We can't fix everybody's issue. Yeah, we can't. And to your point, when you did the training, isn't it amazing how, with some information, we can be comfortable being uncomfortable? We can be comfortable helping people, listening to them, and even not knowing what to say, what to say, but still being there, just yeah. by having some information. Yeah, yet, absolutely. And yet we don't talk enough about mental health. And I, I mean, I can't stress enough either to everybody, you know, if, if this sounds foreign to you and you've never dug into this kind of stuff or tried to <laughs> learn about it or even go there, uh, even once you learn the information, like it's a practice, <laughs> it's a practice and you're going to have to be willing to step in, step through fear, step into that uncomfortable space uh, time and time again to hone these skills and and uh, work on it. You know, it's going to take time to cultivate uh, that awareness where, you, you know, you just get better at it the more you practice it. So don't don't be like discouraged. Like none of it is uh, stuff that we were taught. Like it's all <clears throat> there's skills we can learn. But it's most people, I don't think, were raised with parents that taught them these skills. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's why it's so important in schools. We don't teach kids words for emotions. Like she was saying, she didn't know the words to say how she felt. And I mean, and that's one of the things that I've learned over time is that there's a couple of different, you know, when you feel something really strongly, a lot of times you can't find a word for it because it's different parts of your brain too. So teaching kids from a young age, all kinds of different words for feelings and it's very empowering for them and it's life-saving, honestly. 
It yeah. is. And like you said, in schools, get these are if we can learn calculus, I'm sorry, if we can learn calculus, we can learn to say that I need help or that this is what <laughs> grieving looks like and right. it's okay to grieve, but here are resources that are accessible to you. Here are mm. your local peer support groups. Here are crisis hotlines that you can call or text. Here's a pamphlet to send home to your parents so they can learn how to have conversations and resources that are available in your community. We can learn calculus. I promise we can do that too. I like how you word that because it makes it sound so simple, doesn't it? Like we can ask for help then. It's like, that's sounds so simple <laughs> compared to learning calculus. My brain hurts when I even think about that. The other, the other thing it does is when you teach in school, kids learn empathy because you're able to, they're able to use words when they're hurt by their peers. So at a young age, before bullying becomes cool, before all these like, you know, making fun of people or some of these bad habits that, you know, wreck lives later, if kids learned, hey, when I take something from this person, it makes them feel hurt. When I hurt them, it hurt. Like when you are able to see somebody else feeling something and you grow up with empathy, you're different. You know, you won't want to bully. You you know what it feels like. You don't want to hurt your friend. Yes, exactly. And you're learning consent because you're learning when it's okay to say, no, I'm not ready to have this conversation. No, I need space. I need boundaries. I'm not in the mindset to be able to do this. I'm not comfortable right now talking about this. We can teach kids boundaries and consent just by allowing them to have a space to talk when they're comfortable and ready to. Totally. The one of my favorite things about this whole recovery journey that I've been on is the fact that I've, uh, you know, I take these things, I practice them, but then with my son, I, and my, with my girlfriend's daughter and with other people in my life, it's like everywhere at work, dude, I, I share this information and these skills and these tips and these tools with people all the time. And it's so cool to feel like you have something like worth some real tangible value to offer the world around you, especially for somebody like me. It's like I used to sell death to kids, right? And now I'm speaking life into the people around me and I couldn't be more grateful. <laughs> it's just that nice natural side effect of putting in that work and that effort to learn these things for yourself. Because when you find the value in it, then you can't help but share it with people, right? And like your prime example of that, you're you're making it your mission, you know. It's awesome. There's a lot more too. Like, so how old were you the last time that you know you tried to end your life? How how long ago and what's happened since? I wanna hear I want them to hear what you've been doing lately. So I was twenty. Um, I was twenty years old and since then I went I had withdrew from withdrew from my first master's program, my master's information systems at the time, um, really struggled, ended up attempting and in the psych ward. From that point, I went back to school, finished up that master's degree and launched Inspiring My Generation as an official 501c3, started the podcast Normalize the Conversation and have recorded over 100 and I think 10 episodes as of today, which is amazing. I think 90 episodes are out now. 
maybe 93. I should know the number. Thank you. Um, (laughs) The encouragement cards, I've sent out over 500 handmade cards to patients hospitalized in behavioral health facilities, including the one that I was hospitalized in. To provide a note of you're not alone, you're enough. That's 5,000 people have received some kind of reminder that they're not alone and that they have the strength to get through this, which to me just blows my mind that that was possible. Mm. Um, workbooks, I published two of them. The first one was You Are Not Alone, as I spoke about before. The second one's I Am, and that's about learning how to advocate for yourself and getting those tools, identifying who I am and how I feel, but separating them. And then also, I've been contracted to create these workshops with Peer Support Coalition of Florida. I'm hosting five of them weekly starting in September, or once a week, five different ones starting in September. I'm really excited for getting to take these tools that I've learned, teach kids how to be an advocate, how to mentor, but then also how to build, how to have conversations, build self-talk and coping skills, um, learn to love themselves. So I get to take all these things and actually share it with people. I have the third workbook in development that I'm really excited about. I've spoken at events, events everywhere. I was just in California about two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, speaking at the When the Music Stops Summit. So I did a keynote speech for NAMI California's youth conference. So it's so much has happened. I went back to school to start my next master's in psychology and have somehow miraculously maintained a 4.0, even doing classes in the middle of the night. So right now things are going. Kicking ass, taking names. Look at you. And there was something you were nominated for, something in North America. Yes, for the Revolution Her um, you, no, Le- Impact Leader Award, I believe is the name. It's for like the North America's like biggest awards for women in business. And I was nominated. I'm one of the finalists. I find out in a month if I won or not. So really exciting. Not holding my breath, but really praying that and just grateful. I'll be praying too. Good luck. It's awesome. And you know what though? Whether you win that thing or not, that doesn't that award doesn't say that you what you're doing has value. What you're doing has value. And and, And just being nominated is amazing. It's not like her city or whatever. It's North America. Right. (laughs) That's a lot of people. If you're it's the top 40 or something's the finalist, right? Yeah. I mean the twelve hundred top forty. North America, that's big. It's huge. You're kind of a big deal. It's a big deal. It's fine. (laughs) She's going to be speaking at NAMI Florida's conference in September, too. She's flexing hard on us. We got work to do, friends. Yeah, that's right, bro. She is flexing. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Thank you. I'm so excited for the NAMI Florida conference. I can't wait to hear you speak, Ashley. It's going to be amazing. Mm. Oh, yeah, I can wait for me to speak, but I'll do it. <laughs> is there going to be a live stream of you speaking, Ashley? It definitely is not. <laughs> She's like, no. But should we? Give me, me in contact with your people. We'll set something up. Fran, if you're going in I'll person, be there. record it. I got you. Hell yeah. yeah. We want to see it. I know you're gonna kill oh. it, AG. AG. You're gonna you're gonna do great. You're gonna be amazing, and I'm gonna be right there, right in the front row, cheering you on. I'm so happy. 
What a blessing. You got that support coming. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm taking a completely different approach than a lot of people. It's I'm like the welcome speaker. And normally it's like a lot of rah, rah, whatever. And we're going to start like I'm going to tell part of my story and about some of the struggles that I've had and then invite people to share some of their struggles. Like we're going to do a, a video of, of family members and friends and loved ones that have been lost, um, no matter what the reason, COVID, um, you know, suicide, mm -hmm. overdose, all of it, whatever, you know, they don't have to tell the reason or anything. It's just going to be pictures and, um, and just be able to hold space so that they know they're not alone in their grief so that the rest of the weekend can be spent connecting. Right. right. That sounds That's awesome. Amazing. Have you ever felt like you're in a room full of people? and you feel alone, you feel like nobody else is going through what you are. No one else can like, there's no way that they would understand the way you're feeling. So if you start off by alleviating that feeling and you realize that everyone in the room is struggling with something, it might be different, it might, but they're all struggling, then you get rid of that feeling of being alone in that room full of people. And that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. yeah, when you start on vulnerability, that's where a connection can begin. You're you're going to do awesome, Ashley. Yeah. Yeah, but if I don't, there's a reason. Like, somebody needs to see me mess up, so it'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> you're so modest. I, I don't like speaking. We know. But you have a yeah, voice I, that needs needs to be heard, my friend. I know. I got asked to speak at another event today, and I'm like, can I, am I allowed to say no? Like, <laughs> I feel guilty saying no. That's bad. And just think, Brett. Look at what you started. You empowered her voice, man. I don't really feel like it was me, necessarily. Well, you sent her that microphone and the impact that it had, although you may not have expected it. She's told me about the impact that that had on her, that she felt like everybody. her voice, her voice mattered. It was a big deal for her. So thanks for being a big, sweet teddy bear, Brett. Oh, stop it. Don't minimize it because then you minimize the way it makes me feel. So you're a big deal for that. Amen. Yeah, Brett, you're also kind of a big deal. And AG. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm just humbled to be here with you guys right now. You guys are awesome. Everyone is amazing that's on here. Totally. Yes. Yeah. So when's your when's your third workbook dropping then, Fran? Next year, it'll probably be in May, May 2023. I'm really excited this about this one. I so it's about self-care and building a self-care routine. Um, however, I'm still deciding on the name. I have like covers and different colors done too. I was thinking maybe self, maybe just simple like self-care, maybe learning to love myself or I love myself because I like the affirmation base that you are not alone and the I am. So maybe I love myself. Maybe it's just self-care. I don't know, but it's about building a self-care routine and breaking it down into six steps. 
I'm really excited for it. And it's May 2023. Awesome. I want to ask you more about it, but you're probably not going to tell us because then nobody will go buy the workbook. <laughs> well, see, it's still in development. So it's like the main outline of it's done, <laughs> but things could change. So, <laughs> but it is like a six step starting with identifying my needs and my wants and then building a self-care routine that fits into your schedule. It doesn't have to be something huge. I think in my experience, at least when I was trying to build a self-care routine, I thought that meant I had to go from doing nothing to waking up early every morning, having a cup of coffee, then going for a run, then showering, doing a face mask, and just breathing in the day and doing a meditation. Then at night I had to go for a walk or a jog and I had to read a book for 30 minutes and then I had to have a cup of tea and then have like a nice like bath and relax like I thought I'd do all those things at once in one day and just build it like immediately from zero to 100 like no you're, you're not if you don't, don't have time to take care of yourself if that's the mindset you have today tomorrow you're not suddenly gonna have five hours for self-care but you might have five seconds 20 seconds maybe it's just looking in the mirror and saying an affirmation Maybe it's having that cup of tea at night or that cup of coffee in the morning or going for a walk. Maybe it's one small thing that you can add today. And then in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, you add something else You when you're ready to. It's so easy to overwhelm ourselves. Just overwhelm ourselves and think, I, mean, I can do it all. And then we obviously can't handle five hours of self-care when we have no time in our day and we can't do it. Then we're like, I failed. I can't take care of myself. I'm useless. That's it. Like, so I want to break that cycle and start with, let's build it slowly. What can you handle? What works? What do you need? Do you need an affirmation? Do you need a bubble bath? Like, what do you need? What can we do with intention that's going to make you feel better, even if it's for five seconds? I love it. You know, because I can I can say, like, myself from experience that I, being the addict I am, if I decide, oh, I'm going to work on you know, my self-care, I'm going to go like extra, extra hard at it. And then, you know, I'll be like feeling great maybe for a little while, but then I'll start feeling like shit because I'll start noticing all the negative consequences of me neglecting every other aspect of my life because it's all about me and my self-care, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like balance is important too. So that's that's good advice try to kind of sprinkle things in there try different things be open to new experiences and see what works for you you know yeah and what works for you might not work for someone else if someone else is telling you that they're walking a mile every day and that doesn't work for you like that's fine if walking a mile every day is not your form of self-care today it's not what's going to help you that's okay maybe just saying, again, saying an affirmation in the mirror. I think that's the most simplest thing that anyone can make time for. We all have to look in the mirror at some point during the day, say yeah. an affirmation while you do it. Um, but maybe it's just, I'm the kind of person, I love to read. Maybe I just need to sit down and make 10 minutes a night to just read. 10 minutes I'd be scrolling on Twitter or scrolling on Instagram or TikTok, I could be reading. Maybe it's just writing a note to myself or writing in a journal for five to 10 minutes. It's scheduling it in when I have time and what feels good for me. But to your point of, you know, sometimes we feel like we've neglected everything else and it's just all been all about ourselves. Self-care has been taught to be selfish because saying I love me is supposed to be wrong. Looking at myself and saying I love you, that means you're selfish, you're conceited, you're all these terrible things. That's kind of what we're taught. That's the messaging mm -hmm. that's been pushed to us. But you should love yourself. 
you should love yourself more than anything in the world because when you love yourself and you feel so happy and complete with who you are, no matter what's happening around you, you are still going to stand tall and then you can help others. But if you are crumbling inside and the world around you is crumbling, how are you going to keep standing and support yourself and other people? It's human nature to want to help others. But if we're crumbling, we can't. So loving ourselves is the best gift we can do. And yet, like you said, it feels like selfish, like we're neglecting everything else. Well, no, I, I literally meant like I would <laughs> I would neglect everything else. I would be like, you know, it's just an example. You know, like I said, my addiction will manifest itself in many other ways. And it's going to continue to change. And uh I would I would just put too much time into something, right? Like in my first couple of years of recovery, I did that with service work for a while. And then I did it with meetings, you know, and <laughs> you name it, you know, with whatever. I would just like poof. Now this is the thing that I'm like always doing, you know. And I'm just saying that's how I roll. So when I was hearing you talk and thinking, you're, you know, you're throwing out names of possibilities. I'm listening to you talk and what came to my head is self-made. I don't know if you like it, but you're talking about self-care and identifying what you need to be mm. the person that you want to be to be fulfilled. So you have to do the work yourself. No one can do it for you. No one can give you what you need, you have to be able to give yourself what you need or be able to ask for what you need. Right. I love that. That's so true. It We make every opportunity for ourselves ourselves. We are self-made. Every piece of love within us, at the end of the day, love comes from within us. All of that is self-made and how it's presented to the world. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That, might, that might go into the workbook. You might get some credit in there. She better get some royalties. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Royalty checks for no, donate them to someone. <laughs> there you go. Man, that's so kind of you. Hmm? That's so kind of you to donate the money that you haven't earned yet to, <laughs> to others. <laughs> yeah, JR donates our paychecks for the podcast somewhere. We right. well, we get paychecks. <laughs> he, he jokes about them, about signing them. I know. I want one. I, you know, even if it's fake, just so I can put it up on the wall. It, it could be like it's the check. The check won't be real. The checks could say like the, the spiritual bank of America or something. You know, because in in uh, AA and NA they say we're making when we're being of service to others that we're making deposits into our spiritual bank account. You know. Because you're going to need it later when you need some self-love and compassion and and uh, give yourself some grace because we're all going to struggle and need that, you know, to be gentle with ourselves. I think it's important to know that, I mean, what you just said is really important. You don't just get better from, you know, it's no one gets better. You develop positive coping skills. You develop yeah. The ability to say I'm struggling, you know, like life there, like I put on Facebook, there's not every day is good, but there's good in every day. And Amen. so <clears throat> when you can find that, um, like I know, you know, at the beginning, when I first got into recovery, 
you know, my sponsor teaching me to the great, you know, to be grateful and three things to list that changed my life. So it's, yeah. you know, I don't know where I was going, but. Well, all I know is like for what you're doing, Fran, it's like you're providing another resource that's out there. And to me, one of the biggest life changers that I learned early on in my recovery was that I got to get solution focused. I got to stop focusing on the problems. And when I notice that my thinking or my attitude is negative and I'm hung up on some thing that's, you know, not, you know, it's just like this toxic thing that I'm like hung up on. I need to be able to recognize that I'm focusing on the problem, you know, like why, why do I feel this way? Oh, because I'm focusing on the problem. So it's good to know and be able to learn to recognize that in oneself and say, oh, I need, I need some solutions here. And if I can't think of any, cause I'm drawing a blank, cause I'm stuck in my funk. Thank God for people like Fran who are putting together materials that can give me some tangible, practical solutions that I can try to use right now, even if it's as simple as mirror work, right? Like I remember one of the treatments I went to learning about mirror work. And at the time I couldn't hold my own gaze in a mirror for more than a couple seconds. I hated looking at myself in the mirror back then. Um, all I saw was death and a complete piece of shit. You know, all I, all I thought felt was shame when I would look in the mirror uh, and it, like I started doing that and I felt silly. And I remember distinctly like looking around cause I'm in treatment, you know, there's a bunch of other guys in there and stuff. I'm like, I'd have to like look out the door and look both ways and make sure like nobody's around. None of my roommates are in here. And I, and I, but then I would like really take a hard look and try to hold one of the things she said was just hold your gaze for 10, 10 seconds or something like that. Fuck. It took me forever to be able to do that. And it's just like you said, Fran, you know, just take it one step at a time, a little bit at a time, a piece at a time. And eventually you, all of a sudden one day it's like, I kind of like, like I look good or you, or I'm thinking like, Hey, what's up? What's up, buddy? You know, weird, right? Like it's a complete 180 from where I was, but that was only a result of like making that uh, conscious intention to to try to be able to look at myself in the eyes again and not hate what I see, you know? That's incredible. I love that. It just takes small steps and 10 seconds can be so long to look at yourself and just... <sighs> Especially when you're not in love with yourself, especially when you're afraid to look at yourself and to get to that point where you cannot just look at yourself and be like, I look good today. I like what I see. That's incredible. Yeah. Busting out the finger guns when you just wanted to like slice your own throat like a few months ago. It's pretty huge, <laughs> you know, not to be too graphic, but yeah. That was the last time I see it. I, I was almost going to try to kill myself a third time and it was going to be with like a knife, you know, like and just fall on it, but I couldn't do it. So it doesn't kind of count, but I was like, 
I was all set up to do it. I just had to fall forward, but I couldn't do it. I'm glad you did it. Me too. Me too. Me too. Thanks. And I think one of the things that you said about not focusing on the problems and focusing on solutions, I agree in a way, but I disagree in a way too. Um, is that how do you solve a problem if you don't identify what the problem is? I think a lot of times we get in this headspace where everything is the problem and we don't learn to identify and be able to, to say what the problem is. And that's one of the things that I learned from in business school is you have to, you have to have a, a problem statement. So you have to know what your problem is if you're going to solve it. So if you want to start a business, you have to know why you're selling your product. What is the problem you're trying to solve? If you're just trying to make something just for the heck of it, it's not going to work. So it's the same thing, you know, in life. I go into, you know, sometimes the feelings of everyone else and hearing their stuff, sometimes it'll put me in a funk and I have to sit and think, I'm like, okay, well, why am I feeling like this? What's, what's the problem? It's not my whole life. You know, it, it could be, I didn't get enough sleep. That's a common problem for me. So how, once I can identify I'm tired, then I can solve it. Right. You know, you got to be able to name it so you can claim it and then you can tame it for sure. Uh, I think what I was in, in the way that I was referring to it is like, I'm obsessing, I'm ruminating, like I'm acutely aware of what the problem is. And yet I'm sitting in the problem. I'm choosing to sit in my own shit. Right. And I'm not, and I'm choosing not to get solution focused. It's, it's, you know, that, that was kind of like the aspect that I was coming at it from. Like when you, when you're just sitting there obsessing on it forever and it's just, you're wasting all this energy and time, uh, you know, letting it piss you off and whip you up into a frenzy even worse than you were in the first place. And for what, right? Like for what? Yeah. And I, I kind of, I understood what you meant. Um, I was just trying to like hone in on how it can be empowering if you totally. sit and stop and then just name it. So I completely have been where you're talking about and, the negative self-thinking and just wanting mm. to feel sorry for myself, wanting to be the victim. Oh. So I understand those, that's not a healthy place to be. No, that victim mentality is a trap. That's a trap. You know, it's a lack of personal responsibility, really, if you think about it, when it's every, everything, someone or something's else's fault, you know, if only things could be this way then everything would be okay you know like no like it's in here we can fix our own selves you know slowly we can we can find the answers that we need within ourselves we just need help to tap into it but i definitely agree with you that if you can name it then you can claim it and then you can tame it that's empowering being able to solve your own problem, it's huge. Yeah. It, it is, I agree. When I, one of my biggest issues in the beginning was I'm very solution oriented. I always, always disliked when someone gave me a problem because I don't want the problem, I want the solution. I want mm -hmm. things to be fixed. 
And then suddenly it feels like I'm surrounded by all these problems in my life. And how do I figure out what to fix? Because I want one thing that's going to fix it all. And that doesn't really happen in recovery. It doesn't happen when it comes to mental health in general. Because one thing is not going to fix everything. Even like medication, great. That really helps balance me out. My mood stabilizer, amazing. But that's not fixing the insecurity. That's not fixing the lack of confidence. That's not fixing this fear of not being good enough. It's giving me a tool. So now I have the ability to go and look inside me and find those answers, reach out to resources that are accessible to me. Very lucky and grateful that I have a therapist who forces me to explore every single piece. But it was so hard to get to a point where I was like, okay, let's identify where the problem is and not just go, I want answers and I need answers now. Yeah, it stabilizes you, so it gives that gives you the strength to be able to face it, whereas maybe before you would have crumbled if you really tried to face it, right, um, without the medication to assist. Yeah, there's no magic pill. Like, medication's there to help and empower you, you know, even you out so that you can take these things on nothing that goes unchecked is ever going to go away. It's going to fester really. If you don't talk about it, you know, explore it, get to know it, learn how to sit with it and let it be what it is. Cause these are parts of us. We need to be, you talk about loving yourself, right? We need to love ourselves, even the unsavory parts of ourselves, you know? And I want it fixed now. Like, I want the answers now. I don't want it to be tomorrow. I need to know now what's wrong. I need to know the answer now. And I've learned sometimes the answer is really, like, just waiting because you wake up tomorrow and you might feel just fine. Like, if you can just let yourself go to sleep and wake up the next morning, it might look completely different. Yeah. Yeah. My sponsor often when I'm, if I am whipped in a frenzy, he'll be like, Jason, what's different with your circumstances today than it was yesterday or last week or a month ago? And it'll be the same issue. Like I had that issue all those other times that he said, and I'm like, shut up. Cause it's like, I know what he's getting at and it's not, it's not my circumstances. It's my response to those circumstances in this moment for whatever reason, uh, you know. And so being able to identify that uh, and recognize that feelings aren't facts, right? You know, like I just because I'm having big feelings right in this moment doesn't mean that they're final. It doesn't mean that it's all black and white. Um, it's It's just... You know, when you're having big feelings, you got to ride that wave and get to the other side. They will subside. You're not going to feel that intensely about it forever. It's going to chill and, you know, and just come back, come back to it after it chills. Don't try to face it when you're in the middle of that, you know, intensity. Brains lie to us. Totally. But they do it in our own voice. So it's mm. super convincing. True that, AG. I heard somebody else say that. That's not my wisdom. I've always said your brain lies to you, but somebody said it the other day that they lie to you in your own voice. And I was like, whoa, 
think it was me. Was but it? You, yeah, but you will, never, was. You, you will never hear me say anything that sounds profound uh, that hasn't. It's just me regurgitating to the best of my ability. You know, the things that I've learned from the people who I was lucky and blessed enough to have uh, come alongside me, support and guide me on my journey. So it's all regurgitated anyway. I didn't take credit for it. I said I heard it too. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. I regurgitated it. That's how we get things important. Exactly. Out. And that's why I'm saying it wasn't me either. Uh, I mean, it was <laughs> that told you, but it, I, yeah, it's not like I came up with that on my own. Somebody taught it to me. Well, I'm grateful you shared it. Yeah, me too. So it makes me feel like kind of smart hearing you say it. <laughs> Just kidding. It was smart when it came out of your mouth, obviously, because I wanted to reuse it. Bam. Look at that ripple effects right here in front of us as we speak. Yeah. And then Fran's over there teaching people all sorts of nuggets. Hopefully, awesome. hopefully there it's helping them. I guarantee it is. I guarantee it is. It's such valuable valuable information that you're putting out there and then you're equipping them to pass it on to their children and their loved ones and their co-workers and their classmates so yeah, cool i was telling someone about you today i was like i'm excited she's gonna be on tonight and i was like i know that people are gonna hear her and be inspired i was like because the first time i talked to her i was like i was like smiling so big after i was just she just like made me feel so hopeful about life. And I was like, you know how when you talk to someone that just gets it, like she gets it. You're so sweet. That's how I felt when I spoke with you for the first time. It was like that instant connection where it was like, she knows and she's changing the world. And that's like, those are the two best things in the world. Yeah. I'm totally. glad you're here that people are getting to hear what you have to say. And I'm super excited about our NAMI Florida conference because you're going to get to speak to the youth and they need to hear what you have to say. Very excited. Yeah. I'm jelly. I want to go down there now for the conference. Come on. Yeah, I can't afford it. I mean, I could, but I don't want to spend all my money. I'm going to Vegas for the mobilized recovery bus tour launch in like a month and that's gonna uh yeah that, that'll put a dent in the old pocketbook so i'm good <laughs> i'll be there in spirit jr said he was looking at tickets and it was gonna be like 900 dollars easy to go down there yeah i haven't even rented a car yet <laughs> again i'm gonna because we're getting there really early on saturday so we're gonna go explore you know and it's going to be a date day just me and my girl and we're just going to go check out a bunch of stuff and then sunday we'll attend the event they have going on which i have no idea what it is yet but i'm sure it'll be awesome and monday the block party and then we're flying out in the evening on monday to come back home so i'm like we need a car at least for the first day but I've never rented a car. I'm 37 and I've never rented a car in my life yet. What? I haven't either. I haven't either. It'll be my first time. 
I'm the only one that's rented a car? It's because you're the only adult. I mean, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm <adult>. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Don't. <laughs> you groan. <laughs> you do. You are pretty responsible, Brett. Ooh, he keeps us in that. line. He does. Yeah. On track, even. How's <laughs> your day today, Brett? Uh, very stressful. Why? Uh, you don't have to tell us like details if you don't want to share. Yeah, just <laughs> mostly work stuff. Yeah, I had a work yeah. rough day yesterday at work. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it's just my perception, but I feel like my boss has no idea what he's doing sometimes. I'll, I'll share something with you. Bosses normally don't know what they're doing. Just like we don't always know what we're doing. Yeah. So, but they're the leader, and so they have to figure it out. And that's a struggle sometimes. We're all just winging it. It's right? true. It's true. <laughs> I've realized that more as a, in, now that I'm a parent of like, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. And I have a feeling <laughs> that my parents had no idea what they were doing either you know it's just like huh yeah just figuring it out as it happens right fran do you have any kids yet no yeah i was gonna say i i was gonna say with two master's degrees almost at 24 and being the yeah founder of a nonprofit, you probably don't have a little kid (laughs) no yeah that's Sounds stressful, a lot to handle, and <laughs> amazing that I do look scared. Yes. Yeah, she was like, "What? No, <laughs> not ready. Not ready. One day, You're never maybe. Ready. I'm not ready. You're never Mine are ready. thirteen and fourteen, and I'm still not ready. I hear you. It's it's a journey, man. It's the hardest job, uh, but it's like the most rewarding. Uh, thing too you know i can be so i don't even know the shit can get really intense but then you know they can make you melt the next second you know just randomly you have the most awesome moments too so something to look forward to down the road in life you know maybe. <laughs> i don't know i got two girls and i'm like i don't know what to do with a girl like I, w- I was not a girly girl. I did, you know, it's like, what do I do? And then self-esteem, like, I'm like, you know, you can't say this because it can cause this 10 years down the line. Then you don't want to, it's, so here's, here's an issue that's really hard is like the eating thing, because it's like, you don't want to, like they're eating junk food and you don't want to say you can't have that or that's not good for you or you don't need that. But then you also have to teach them to eat in a healthy way and be able to be able to see what a normal portion is. And it's like, it's like, how do you do it without ruining someone's self-esteem where they think you're saying it because they're chubby. It's like you're telling them they can't eat because they don't need to. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. I was just at that like uh, Monday night men's meeting uh it's called the bare knuckle boys but after the meeting we just hung hung out for like 10 15 minutes and we were talking about parenting stuff and it's like i i had to reassure these two guys i said from where i stand it sounds like you're good dads 
because I think a hallmark of a good parent is to ask yourself those questions to, you know, maybe beat yourself up a little bit about maybe you're acting too much like their friend, or maybe you came down on them a little too hard, you know, and like to, to have that kind of like, I, I consider it a healthy level of self-criticism, you know, like you're trying to improve, you're trying to find the sweet spot. There is no sweet spot and we're going to make mistakes because we're humans and we're fallible. Right. So you got to give yourself grace sometimes and realize like, Ooh, that went sideways. And uh, I didn't handle that well, but I think it's important to tell my son when I do that, you know, that, I shouldn't have responded that way or, you know, I'll apologize. I'll let them know like that I was wrong because I think that maybe that teaches them more than you think too, you know, teaches them to have a little humility too and to be able to admit when they're wrong and own their stuff. You know? Well, and I think kids pick up more on seeing our behavior as opposed to our yeah. words. I mean, I know, I know that our words are important, obviously, but like seeing you apologize for your mistakes. I think that goes a lot further than maybe some other things that you could do. Like seeing those examples of it's okay to admit that I made a mistake. It's okay to apologize. Like seeing those examples. They'll yeah. remember those things. Yeah. Or showing up authentically mm. as who you say you are. So your actions have to follow what you're teaching or, or you're a hypocrite and who wants to do what a hypocrite says. So, you know, you have to act in the way you're teaching them to act. So saying you're sorry is important. Yeah. Yeah. And to your thing about the eating, I know as someone who struggled most of my life on and off with eating disorder, eating disorder behavior, just information, just, this is what this food does for you. This has this vitamins. This might, this might feel heavier in your stomach. So when you're feeling tired the next day, this, we can connect it to what you've eaten. Um, eating this amount of food is considered a standard portion. It's not that you can only eat that, but this is how, kind of like a measurement, how you can make a plate. You can make a plate with this portion of vegetables, this um, carbohydrates, this protein, or however you want to break it up. But kind of just giving them information in a way that's not, scary or overwhelming i guess that's something i wish i had it was like this is what this food does for you if you're feeling really great the next day and you had all this food let's connect it and if you ate something else and you're not feeling well the next day maybe that's connected and that there's different ways you can eat you don't have to eat just because you're eating chicken tenders doesn't mean you can't have dessert later but what are some other nutrition that we can get in while we're also having the chicken nuggets? Maybe we can have some green beans or some broccoli or maybe a cup of fruit, just throwing other pieces of nutrition that are important to have all of it in our bodies. Yeah. You know, I got a buddy who's super into fitness and uh, he told me that if he eats junk food at all, like he, that he like is, can really feel it, you know? Like it's like night and day. So he don't like eating stuff like that very often because it's like, but he's so like diet, you know, focused on his diet and stuff. I don't know, man. That's not me though. I, I eat a lot of garbage. Not going to lie. <laughs> well, like growing up, you know, 
So my mom had struggles like growing up where kids made fun of her and, you know, called her chunky and stuff like that. So, so when I was growing up, she wanted to let me know if clothes didn't look good on me because she didn't want me to be made fun of by other people. And I felt like she was telling me that I was chunky. That makes you look chunky. That makes, you know. So she was trying to do it because she loved me and she didn't want me to get hurt. But I took it as. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to to learn and, you know, grow a little bit more, you know, if you don't, you know, learn from those things, you don't ever change anything. So it's a hard struggle. So like it, it kind of gave you a complex almost a little bit like. Oh, it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, in high school, I, I think you've probably heard my story, I ate like a half bag of Cheerios and a slim fast shake in a day and ran a mile and rollerbladed seven miles. And there was yeah. days I did laps in the pool. Like it was, and I was also in color guard. So we did, you know, that was all stuff I did after practice. Wow. So yeah, like we had to be on the field in leotards. So yeah, everyone could see you, you know, you had to look good. Mm. And like, you know, it's it's this thing when you look in the mirror, you don't see what you really look like. When you get to a weight that might be healthy, you still see something that's not there. And then you continue down that path and it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of like body dysmorphic disorder or whatever. That's kind of a trip. <clears throat> Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to overcome because every time I know for me, every time I look in the mirror, I'm not going to see, like you said, I'm not going to see what other people see. And for me, it gets to the point where when I like, I can't shop online because if I order stuff online, I'm not going to order my size because what I'm seeing and what the size is, they're just not going to line. I ordered clothes that were a couple of sizes too big and everyone was making fun of me. And I was like, what you're seeing and what I'm seeing, I'm aware, like based on my size and my measurements, I'm aware of what you are seeing is not what I'm seeing. However, I can't unsee what I'm seeing. I don't know how I'm trying, but I don't. So I've gone to the point where it's like, I can't order online because I know that what I'm seeing, I have to try it on. I have to physically be in the store and see it on me to know that, okay, this is the size that I am because I genuinely looking in the mirror won't see it. And it's hard because when you know you're not seeing yourself right, but you don't know how to fix it. And I've gotten slowly, I've gotten better at it. But when you, your, your eyes are playing tricks on you, right? that's your reality, unfortunately. <clears throat> so I got a question for both of you ladies, since you dealt with, uh, you know, like eating disorders and things. Because I, I was just having a conversation last night, a friend was sharing with me about, her friend who's struggled with eating disorders for like the last 25 years or something. But she said that she thinks that that's one of the most or like the worst kind of like disorder to try to try to like overcome or recover from. Like, would you agree with that statement? I... I'd say to me, 
I don't know if it's the worst for every person. I think it depends on how far along through the um, eating disorder, disordered eating behavior, if they have body dysmorphic disorder, right. how old they are and how long that this has been kind of, I don't want to say an issue, but how long this has been building up inside them and it's been part of their lives and what support and stuff is available to them at that time. So for some people, if you catch them early on when the disordered behavior is really starting, and you give them the information, the tools that they need, that might be a lot to move the recovery of someone who's 20 years of a severe body dysmorphic disorder who has had severe disordered behavior, eating behavior and patterns trying to recover. So I think it's very different for everyone. Yeah. And I feel like it's so hard to compare like apples and oranges. That's what I, that's what I yeah. said too. I was like, you know, it's, it's like the same devils, different levels. Um, and I don't think that, to say that I was like, kind of like felt like it, it minimizes other people's struggles if they're different. Right. Or, and, and you gotta be careful not to do that, obviously, because we don't even know, you know, what you might see on the surface uh, could be very different than what they're struggling with on the inside. But man, I, w I was just thinking when we were having that conversation, like, how do you have an eating disorder for 30 years or whatever it was? It was like, what's missing? You know, like what? So I think that it's, I don't know that you ever get over a lot of these things or, you know, to say they had the eating disorder for 30 years, maybe they were actively in you know, just like for substance use disorder, there's active addiction, we're in recovery, we're never going to get over the fact that, you know, we're going to be easily addicted to things. Like that's not just something you get over. And I think it's the same way with eating disorders. And I mean, I still have a problem eating in front of people. I do it. I force myself, but it's not comfortable. So I wouldn't say that I'm over it. I've learned coping skills. I've learned you know, but there's, there's always going to be that little bit of, I don't know, uncomfortable, like, well, I shouldn't eat or like, let me not eat today. Like, right. so I think it's just one of those things like, <clears throat> like with us, we, you know, in recovery, we have things we do when there's cravings, we feel you go to a meeting or you, you go and you talk to somebody or whatever your pathway is, however you handle it. Um, it's the same way with an eating disorder. You you know that, you know, food is vital. You know there's no reason not to do it. So you just, even if you only take two bites of your food, at least you're you're trying, you're showing up. Um, and I think it's easier the more you do that around others. Um, but even anxiety, like, doesn't go away. Depression doesn't go away. Right. Um, you learn how to deal with it. So if somebody's out there watching us right now and they struggle with eating issues, what what would be some uh, good like resources that are available to them to maybe get tools, information uh, that they can help that can help them? <laughs> yeah. For me, one resource that I really love is the National Eating Disorder Association, NEDA. Just, I think it's neda.org. 
a lot of information's on there, a lot of support, what's available to you. Um, just different information about the different eating disorders, disordered eating behavior, um, resources of what you can do, what even types of therapy are available, where you can go. I think that's just a great place to start is at, I like their website. Not many folks that have stuff on eating disorders too. If somebody goes there too, if they can't remember the acronym, because that always happens to me. Somebody will tell me, hey, go to this place. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <clears throat> I I felt like, yeah, maybe somebody's like listening to this conversation right now and they're just like, I can't believe they shifted gears and they're talking about this. Uh I thought maybe some solution throw some solutions out there possible so thanks for sharing that i think for guys it's so hard because it's it, it doesn't feel like it's common among men to have an eating disorder so i think that that's a hard one if you you know you struggle as a male you're not the only one there's a lot of men that struggle too i have a strong feeling that that's like a myth you know what I mean? Like that, like, I think that's probably a myth because there's so many different types, right? Like eating junk all the time and becoming like 600 pounds obese, like bedridden is a eating disorder too. You know, it's not all skinny as a rail, binge and purge, you know, or starving yourself. It's, there's so many different types. And I mean, I, I'm not saying I have one, but I'm saying I think I would think a lot of more people, anybody that struggles with their weight or with food in any way, probably has some sort of type of eating disorder, right? Everyone that deals with perfectionism and control issues has an issue probably with food too. Because when you have to be perfect, you want to look a certain way. You are hard on yourself if you eat too much. So I think that it's a lot more common than people think just because you're not, I never, you know, binged and purged. Um, I never was a weight that they would consider underweight. Um, I'm five nine. So, you know, it's like I was never 87 pounds or anything, but it's, that doesn't mean that what I was doing was healthy. It doesn't mean I wasn't, I was using food to feel like I could control my life because I was anxious. I didn't feel like I had any control over what was going on around me so I could control the food. And so that's how I felt like life was okay is through that. So, and then, you know, it's like you, you know, you controlled and you ate too little and then you're, you give in and you eat too much because you use that to stuff your feelings too. So, it can manifest in so many different ways. True that. There's so many different forms of disordered eating behavior. And unfortunately, a lot of us will adapt it at some point in our lives. Because like you said, it can be a form of control. It can be a form of kind of just a secret we have with ourselves that we eat this cake by ourselves. Or I don't need to eat today. I need to look good and this outfit or this bathing suit or I'm going to dinner and I'm going to eat a lot later so I can starve all day. There's all these different pieces that are kind of just little things in our minds that are disordered eating 
behavior patterns and just disordered eating behavior. So even without a diagnosed disorder, a lot of us will struggle with those behavior patterns and all still deserve that same support and help so that it doesn't become diagnosable in the future. Right. Or maybe it can get caught before it becomes literally like a life-threatening thing. I mean, like some people wither away, right? And people don't say nothing. Yeah. Well, and it's so important to know, like as parents, that what we say can really affect our kids and how they look at themselves and how they eat. And, you know, that's something that they could struggle with forever, just the way we speak about food or, you know, if, if we talk negatively about, you know, having ice cream today and they think that, you know, it's awful if they do that, you know, like you have to be careful how you phrase things. The words do matter, Brett, but actions matter too. (laughs) Ding. Yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. It's, we have so much more effect on other people than we realize. We do, and people take in what we say, even if we don't think they're listening. I always explain that to my grandmother. She likes to have the news on in the background 24-7. She's like, but I don't listen to it. I don't pay attention to it. But I'm like, but this, all the bad news all day is going in your mind, whether or not you're paying attention. You're still picking it up and it's still affecting you. even though it might not be conscious. And I think that's so true with everything in our lives that people are talking around us, they're talking to themselves and we hear them. It's impacting them. I know as a kid hearing people say that they looked fat or they looked ugly or they were this, they were that. I just associated with whatever was happening at the time was bad. So they said ice cream is bad or um, skipping a workout, skipping a run is bad. That's bad. That's like not to punish myself. So then as I got older and I missed the workout and feel like going to the gym or I was sick, I felt like I had to punish myself. Like I wasn't good enough. And I had to talk to myself the way I heard other people talk to themselves regarding the same thing. Isn't that odd how you can hear somebody talking negatively about themselves and think that that sounds like what you ought to be doing to yourself? seems counterintuitive but i mean i get it i get what you're saying it's like uh you know in a work environment you know it's somebody that seems very somebody that's very like uh intimidating and and comes down hard on people uh and you take it so to heart right you just take what they say to heart it's weird (laughs) it's kind of weird it made me smile when you're talking about the news because my youngest daughter used to like before she could talk when the news was on she would like cry and then like as she got older like turn it off turn it off and like she was like two saying to turn it off and like people were like she doesn't even understand what's going on i'm like but she's freaking out i have to turn it off like i they're like you know, my mom would ask me to watch the news. And I was like, no, I, it, Brie gets terrified when I watch the news. I can't watch it. I have to read the news on the computer because she like flips out. And then she'll have, she'll wake up in the middle of the night with nightmares. And everyone's like, she's being dramatic. There's no way that she's taking in that she's young. And so, you know, it made me think as 
COVID happened and the news started being, I mean, it's always been negative news, but as it was amping up and I would notice when I watched the news that it would make me feel differently. Mm. It would make me get angry. And I wasn't, I didn't realize at first that it was the news. And then there was times when I'd be sad or the news would have a story and it would make me happy. And I'm like, my child has a baby realized those feelings that I'm realizing now, like, you know, so it definitely does. It's absorbed. Yeah. Kids, man, they can into it uh, a lot more than you think, you know? Yeah. It's like when I, I was estranged from my two oldest kids uh, when they were very young, they were one and three and I, haven't been a part of their life uh and i say that to say this like i think that that fueled so much of my self-destructive behavior it made me want to kill myself it made me hate myself it made me feel so much shame and it wasn't until i got into recovery and i could hear other people who had their kids throughout all the years who exposed their kids to so much uh, and and hearing about the the consequences of all of that was the first time in my life that I thought that maybe it was a good thing that I wasn't in the picture. You know, I was like kind of grateful that I didn't do that damage. I'm not saying I didn't da- do any damage because I'm sure that ha- that was its own kind of damage to have a absent father but definitely glad that because some of those stories were just horrific you know (laughs) that i would hear people tell and i i was like yeah i would have put a bullet in my brain i'm sure of it you know like and if if i had you know been putting my kids through that or whatever so i guess i was kind of grateful that i didn't you know, expose them like that. But. And I think that one of the biggest tragedies in the world is the guilt and the all of, all of that because they could have, you don't know, they could have had a great life. They could have not, but you can only do the next right thing today you can't go back and change all that and by you know people sit and they dwell in this guilt and the shame and it's it holds them back for a long time because they could be and this is going to sound like it's easy to do it's i know it's not but getting rid of the guilt and just saying you know i didn't know i was hurting people at the time it wasn't intentional and i didn't mean to hurt anybody and i would I wish I wouldn't have, but I can't change that. So I'm going to put that over here and I'm going to make sure I never do that again going forward. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think for me though, at the time it was like a gift, really. It was, it was a much needed gift for, for me to realize that, you know, it could have been worse. It could have been much worse and you know 
because I can imagine <clears throat> with the lifestyle that I was leading, especially at certain periods, with what kind of stuff they might have seen or been a party to. And I, so I don't know, like it was because I always spent my whole life building, making mountains out of, out of my stuff, you know. So it was like to hear that coming from other people and then think like, oh, it's probably a good thing. It was like a comfort. It was kind of like a comfort to me. Yeah. Early recovery was weird, man. I had a lot of shit like that. Like that would just be like, it could be the most horrible story you've heard, but it would kind of be like in a weird way, like a comfort to me. Like it would make me feel like my problems weren't as bad as I always made them out to be, you know, like <laughs> if that makes any sense, I don't know. I'm going to try to communicate this in a way that makes sense and see, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it out, but so think about like something, say that the people that were telling you those stories and the amount of guilt and shame they had when they were telling you, right. They, they were probably really guilty. Um, but they gave you the gift of being able to release your guilt. Maybe not all of it, but a significant amount to be able to say, okay, it could have been worse. Like I'm not the worst person in the world. They gave you a gift through their mistake and their guilt and sharing it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the worst things we've done in our lives really end up helping people if we use them. For good totally and just sharing it right is is a big piece of it you know that makes it okay for like that made it okay for me to open up about the shame and guilt i was carrying and a lot of times those same people would be like man yeah i mean i they're like i don't know what would have happened if i you know, lost my kids like that. If I wasn't able to be in their lives or have them around, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, I know I can kind of relate now because I look at my youngest son and how it was with him. And it, like, I thought I was a good dad when, when uh, I was still active in my addiction. But now that I've been clean and, you know, the first couple of years, it took time for me to repair that relationship uh, to the point where I could get him overnights and then eventually on weekends again. Uh, but now it's been, you know, a number of years that since I've had my visitation back full bore and stuff. And our relationship is so amazing. Like, I, I don't know. And I guess I have no experience in that either in that arena because I was there full time for my other two kids until they were one and three. And then I wasn't at all ever. So be anything beyond three years old, you know, I was like, I have no frame of reference here. Every time I get him, he's smarter, he's taller, he's faster, he's stronger. <laughs> you know, he's changing all the time. He's just growing. And it's just crazy. But I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the for the ability to be an active participant in my child's life and uh, and to experience all the gifts that that brings. Um, and I do. 
I do have hope, you know, that one day I'll be able to reunite with my older two kids and be a part of their lives. So, I mean, I, I, and all I do know is this, man, if I, do I want to be committed to this lifestyle and, and have them find this version of me if they come looking or, you know, the alternative, you know, and that ain't even no fucking question at all. You know, I want them to find this guy. I want them to find the guy that's trying to grow and learn and and get better every day. That's that's the guy I want them to find. I think they'd be proud of the guy you are today. Thanks, Thanks Ahesh. Thank you. Well, we're almost to the end. I think, you know, we should go around and each say something we're grateful for as the last thing. Mm. So maybe everyone listening, if they're struggling with something, maybe they can think of something they're grateful for. Um, you can put in the chat or just think about it. Um, who wants to go first? I'll go first. <laughs> I am just grateful, period. I try to find gratitude in everything, in little things. Uh, my life today, even to my problems, I try to find gratitude in them because I get to have these problems today. And and they're so different than the problems that I would have when I was in my addiction. So I, I'm grateful for you guys. I'm grateful for this time that we've shared tonight, this enlightening conversation that we've had. You know, I'm grateful. I'm just grateful for everything, man. I got so many things that are so positive in my life today. And it's all, it all stems from, from my recovery. So I don't know. That's kind of like a cliche answer. I'm just grateful. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I got. So, past. <laughs> I'll go next. I'm grateful for the people that I get to meet. Um, I'm grateful for the three of you and how amazing you are. Um, but it's, there's, amazing people everywhere. We're taught to think people are bad and awful, but people can be really inspiring and they don't even realize it. So I'm grateful for the inspiring people that don't realize they're inspiring. Amen. I love that. I guess I can go next. Um, well, I'm grateful for all of you having me here today. This has been so fun. I just appreciate and admire you guys for creating this space. Um, and I'm really grateful for, I have my one of my cousins, her name is Isabella. And just every day she allows me to take her to do something that makes me happy, whether it's dragging her on uh, to our walk in the um, wilderness area or doing a sunset picnic, just watching the um, just watching the grass freeze a little bit, just lets me drag around everywhere and do those things with me. So when I want some self-care that, makes me feel good. I never have to do it alone. Nice. I guess it's my turn now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I think for me, it's so easy to get into a place of negativity and to focus on on all the bad. So I, I appreciate, I'm grateful that Ashley is having us do this exercise. But just hearing everybody share tonight and just seeing the the life that i have today and and you know being able to be a father and a husband and a, a, i guess i'd say a decent employee 
depends on the day. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just grateful for all the small things, you know, just the, yeah. even as chaotic and stressful as life can be and, you know, work and bills and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like I'm still so grateful for the life that I have today versus, you know, what the alternative could be. Cause I've lived the alternative and I, I, I can say that, that without a doubt that my life today is so much more beautiful and wonderful than anything I deserve. And I'm just grateful to, to have the life that I have and to have the connections with you guys that I have and the friendships and, you know, being able to come onto a platform like this and talk with amazing guests and learn things. And, you know, just, I, being on this show, like, I don't feel like I'm qualified to be here <laughs> sometimes, you know, I have that imposter syndrome. Uh, but I'm I'm grateful to be here and grateful. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to sound really cliche, like Jason was saying. But I, yeah, I I feel like I'm really grateful for pretty much everything. Oh yeah. So when you start for things, you find so many you don't realize how much you have to be grateful for unless you start to look. Absolutely. So I had a. I, it was just on my heart to share this because it applies. There's scripture, uh, James chapter 1, 2 through 8, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach and it will be given to him but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the lord he's a double-minded man unstable in all his ways but it's like speaks to that I get to have these problems, you know like when I'm having problems dude I got to find joy in those problems because they're so very different from the problems that I would have when I was overcame with uh, the struggles of my mental health or the struggles of my addictions or my, you know, stupid ass behavior. So I, I just I'm grateful that we can all even be here and survivors of our own struggles, you know, and be able to spread these messages of hope and share tools with people you know that they can use and hopefully help them with their own stuff because yeah we all have struggles we're all people we all need it we all need help all the help we can get if you're anything like me I need all the help i can get <laughs> me too now i want to say all right this sweatshirt is from fran's stuff and it says you're not alone um fran do you want to tell them where they can get Merchandise yeah. and stuff too. Yeah, oh, yeah, so to purchase merchandise or workbooks, you can go on inspiringmygeneration.org. Um, there are so many amazing merch designs. I I mean I'm biased, but I love them. Um, so you can get the merch on there or the workbooks, you can get them on inspiringmygeneration.org. You can also get them Barnes and Noble, Walmart, name of retailer, search it, they probably have it. And it's available as paperback, audio, ebook. You can get it anywhere. 
And you're a rock star, Fran. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate you. See, I told you you're a rock star. Bam. That's amazing. Where's that bell, Brett? Yeah. Rock star. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming tonight. Yeah, I love good. having you here. But thank you for having me. Super awesome. We ready to close things out? Yeah, dude. I gotta go to bed. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for everybody that tuned in tonight. If you are watching on YouTube, please be sure to subscribe to the channel, turn on your notifications. <sighs> So you know when we go live, which is every Thursday night. If you'd like to send us a voice message, you can go to the address on your screen and leave a voice message that we can play on the show. Uh, hey, Jason, don't you have a podcast as well? Yep, the Way Out Podcast. It's really, uh, I think it's pretty quality content that we, it's a passion project, you know, service thing for me and my friend Charles and there's 304 episodes and it's Ooh. available for streaming on any of the platforms that you can imagine or you can look it up on wayoutcast.com nice nice and I also have my own show recovery survey not quite as many episodes I just released episode 123 123 this past week nice um, but yeah, same thing. If you're looking for that, it's on all the major podcast platforms. And I will be live on Facebook and YouTube this Saturday with LC from Recovery Soul Food. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be sometime Saturday afternoon. I can't remember the exact time, but it's in my calendar somewhere. So I know I'll be there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank God for calendars, man. Yeah. And thank, thank you for everybody that tuned in tonight. Thank you again to Fran for coming on, sharing about, man, I'm, I'm just blown away by everything about Fran 24 working on her second masters started this incredible nonprofit two workbooks. Like, man, I need to get my, I need to get my stuff together. I don't even have one workbook or one degree yet. So <laughs> exactly. Same dude. <laughs> what did that dude say? He said she's flexing hard. We got what he is. She's flexing hard. Man. Maybe thank maybe you. one day. So thank you. Thank you again, friend. We appreciate you coming on tonight. And we will see you guys again next Thursday night with another incredible guest. <laughs>